Good morning. How are you guys? Good. Good. Well, very excited um, for what we have planned for today. Um, yeah, I'm very excited. Let's jump right in. So I'm not going to stand up here today and tell you guys um, what your what career you're called to or what your nine to five every day should look like, um, but I'm here to share something that we are all called to do, what our purpose is here on earth, what we are all called to partake in as followers and believers of Jesus Christ. Um, in scripture, this is referred to as the Great Commission, so that is what we are talking about today. We were created by God for God. Sometimes I hear that, I say it, I see it on um, pictures or on Pinterest or on uh, paintings, and it just goes right over my head, but let that sink in. We were created by God for God. When, when we realize that the same God who created the most beautiful and intricate things in the universe that we stand in awe of created you and I, then we start to live with a sense of purpose. We all have a purpose. Again, your nine to five may look a little different, but there is something that as believers we have all been called to step into. We as a church are called to something greater than ourselves. And when I say the church, I don't mean Bridge Church in the building or, or whatever church you've gone to in your lifetime. I'm referring to the people within those buildings. I'm talking about the body of Christ, the followers of Jesus, and the people who, who claim to be followers and follow after him. We are called to something bigger than ourselves. Set aside our past, set aside our age, set aside your financial status or, or who you associate yourself with or who you're friends with. We are all called to something and it is time for the church to wake up and step into that calling. Um, the organization Global Commissions uh, did a, a study and as of this past Monday, there were 3 billion people globally who do not yet know the gospel and have not yet heard, Jesus, heard about Jesus. In the U.S., 6 out of 10 high school students associate with Christianity. We talk about all the time that there is a difference between being a Christian and saying I fit into that category and then actively following Jesus. So if we hear that 6 out of 10 high school students associate with Christianity, then we have to be realistic with ourselves and understand and realize that that number is probably less than because that is just claiming to associate with the group, not actively following. So we have to realize that that number realistically is probably lower. So students in the room, I want you to think about your friend groups. For every 10 people, every 10 students in your group, four of them have not yet heard Jesus. Four of them do not know who he is. They haven't heard the gospel. They aren't actively pursuing him. So 40% of your basketball team, 40% of your, your softball team, 40% of the classes that we sit in every single day do not yet know Jesus. Parents in the room, the workplace, where you work, people in our own homes have not yet heard the good news of Jesus. 40% do not know him yet. 46% of people ages 18 to 29 do not yet know Jesus, and 38% of people ages 30 to 49 have not yet heard Jesus. If that doesn't wake us up enough, I'll, I'll put it in a different term. Not yet knowing Jesus is heaven versus hell. Not knowing Jesus is, is life versus death. It's eternity in hell or it's eternity with Jesus. They do not yet know Jesus. We as believers, we as followers of Christ, we as the people in the church have been called to wake up and share that with other people. Matthew 28 verse 19 says, Therefore, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of age. 
end of the age, sorry. So Jesus was talking to his disciples when he gave this order, when he gave this, this direction, go and make disciples. He was talking to the followers, his followers. So he's still talking to us today. He's saying, go and make disciples. I have called you, I have equipped you, and surely I am with you to the very end of the age. Mark 16, 15 says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Go. There is an action behind that. That word is go. You must go and make disciples. You might actually, we might actually have to do something. We might have to actually do something in order to preach the good news to all creation. Okay. That, that's good, Layla. That's, that's good. I, I see he was calling us to that, but I'm too young. I, I just met Jesus two years ago. I don't know. I can't do it yet. Or I'm a new believer or my parents don't know, and I can't share with my parents. They're supposed to be leading me. Or my boss, I, he's older than me. He knows more. I don't want to ruffle any feathers. I'm a child. It's not my place. 1 Timothy 4.12 says, Do not let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example to all believers in your speech, in your conduct, love, faith, and purity. Jeremiah was a teenage boy when the Lord called him to be a prophet. Jeremiah 1.4 says, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart, and I anointed you to be a prophet to the nations. Ah, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I am only a child. But the Lord said to me, Do not say, I am only a child. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you to say. I have written down the Lord's humor. Like, he's, he's literally saying, don't tell me that you're too young. Don't give me the excuse you're just a child. I don't want to hear it. Go. I will be with you. You will say what I command you to say and to who I command you to say it to. So that scripture doesn't only cover age. Don't tell me you're just a child. You must go. It doesn't just cover I'm too young. It also covers not knowing what to say. It says that everything that I command you to say, he will tell us, he will guide us, he will lead us. And that's when revival breaks out. When it's not us saying it, when the Holy Spirit is taking over and speaking for us, that is when revival breaks out. No, it's not my age I'm worried about. They won't like me if I start sharing the gospel. They don't agree with it. They won't like it. My boss, I don't think you're really supposed to talk about that in the workplace. I'll look crazy. I want you to understand what I'm saying. I'm not, I'm not downplaying any of it, but I'm going to say this. We are living for a God who walked on water. I'm living for a man who was once dead and is now alive. We can't always comprehend it. He was half man, half God. It doesn't always make sense to our human brain. And as a society, as, as, as people, we don't always agree with or like or um, agree with things that we don't understand. We tend to mock things or talk down to things that we don't really quite get. But I know that my God can heal and restore by just a touch. (laughs) Cities break out in revival by just the mention of his name. So I know that there is power in my God. So it's worthy of sharing. John 15, 18 says, If the world hates you, keep in mind that they hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of this world. Fear of others or opinions of others is very real. 
And I would argue that it is something that Satan is using hardcore with this generation. He does not want you to speak up because he has, he has put the lie that they're not going to like you or accept you or you can't do it in this place. There are bubbles where you can do it and you can't do it. And that is a lie from the enemy. You have to believe me when I say the joy in living for the Lord over the world is real. You just have to tap into it. If the world hated Jesus, then what makes me think that they're not going to disagree with the message that I'm carrying or who I am? If they hated the only perfect person to ever walk foot on this earth, the, the only one who was clean and holy, and look at all the miracles that were done in his yeah. name, and they still hated him, what makes me think that they're not going to disagree or talk down to what I'm doing? Jesus went through the exact same trials, the exact same hardship, the exact same um, it, things that we struggle with. He went through it all, and he came out on top. So that is our example. When I feel set apart and lonely and lost because they don't agree with what I'm saying, look to him. Yes. It didn't change the message that he was carrying. No, I, my friend group's fine. They'll agree with whatever I say. That, I'm not worried about that. But you don't know what I used to do. See, before I knew Jesus, or, or even when I knew Jesus, I, I promised God I wasn't going to fall back into that addiction, and here I am. I, I said I was going to stop, but I fell back again. I've turned away from him way too many times. So in biblical times, um, to be forgiven or to, uh, to be forgiven, they would bring forth a sacrifice, and it was typically an animal, and they would bring forth a clean and spotless animal. Well, my Jesus, our God, was the ultimate sacrifice. He was the only clean, he was the only spotless, he was the only pure sacrifice, and because it was him, and because he was the only pure one and perfect one, it was a sacrifice, and it was our forgiveness then, and it is still today. Yes. It was final. The Lord is and forever will be the only final sacrifice. He's our ticket to forgiveness. If we have been forgiven, and we know that, then we must wake up and start acting as if we have been forgiven. My life should look different the minute I find out I have been forgiven and I have access to Jesus. My life should look different than before I knew that. But I've done too much. I've sinned one too many times. Acts 9, 19 says, Saul spent several days with, his with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogue that Jesus is the Son of God. Okay, that's just another guy in scripture that preached the good news. What, what does that have to do with anything? If you have your Bible or if you have your phone, I want you to open up Acts 9. This is crazy. And I encourage you to read it on your own time and go through it slower. The first verse in Acts 9 says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's people. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he may find anyone who belonged to the way, whether man or woman, he might take them in as prisoners to Jerusalem. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats. Hold on, let me go back to verse 9 and 19. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. Am I reading like is, something's not adding up? The same guy that was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's people is now here in the same chapter 
spending several days with the disciples, associating with them, hanging out with them, and then he began to preach in the synagogue that Jesus was the Son of God. I know I serve the same God that did, was doing these things in Scripture. I know I do. So if he's doing it then, he's doing it now. And we can no longer use our past as an excuse to not speak up. Because he was healing then. He was forgiving then. He was using the same people that talked down the Lord's people to then go preach the gospel. Way too often in my life, I walk around and I, I know, you know, our church or our youth group has something coming up. I should probably invite this person. And I look and I'm like, oh, no, they're, they're not interested. They told me that one time last year. They weren't interested. Or we prayed that one time at school and they weren't even looking. Up. Like, they, they're not, they don't want it. Or no, they told me what they did last year. They can't. One, who am I to say that someone is not worthy enough to have access to the Lord? Matthew 7, 4 says, How can you say to your brother, let me take this speck out of your own eye, when all the time there is plague in your own eye? How, who am I to say that they're not worthy of hearing the gospel, but then live and act as if I am? And two, Every single time I look at someone and, and don't share the gospel with them because of something I know about them, something I've heard about them, or something I think of them, I am belittling the power in which my God holds. I am saying their sin is too big for the Lord to come in and turn it around. I'm saying that that person has done too much or they've, they've walked away too, too many times for the Lord to come in and change their life. And I'm wrong. So in the same passage in, in Acts 9, we see that Saul was breathing out murderous threats on the Lord's people. And then later we see that Saul spent several days with the disciples and preached that Jesus was the Son of God. In verse 10, it says, In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. For he, is, uh, for he is praying, and in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias come to the place and lay hands on him and restore his sight. Lord Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and the harm that he is doing to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from all the chief priests to arrest all of those who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings. And the people of Israel, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were on your way here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell off Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once, he began to preach in the synagogue that Jesus was the Son of God. So every time that I want to stand here and say, they're not worthy of hearing it. No, they've done too much. Again, the Lord's humor. Ananias is saying, but Lord, isn't he the one causing all this chaos? And he's saying, yeah, but go. He's my chosen instrument. I want you to go. The Lord Saul the Lord Saul, <laughs> the Lord saw Saul <laughs> and knew what he was doing, and he still chose him, and he still said, you're still going to go be my chosen instrument. Yes. When, God is, when, God, <laughs> when God is in the picture, 
No one and nothing is too far gone. He used the man Saul, who hated his people, to then go and preach in his synagogues and proclaim the gospel. Jeremiah 1.4 says, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I fume, for, Sorry, guys, I'm in a tongue twister. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart, and I anointed you to be a prophet to the nations. You have to believe me when I say that when the Lord calls his people to something great, he's already looked at your past. He's already looked at the people around you who may or may not look down on you. He already has called you into that workplace with a boss who may or may not agree with you. He's already looked at it all. He knows your financial status. He already knows the excuses we're going to bring before him and say, I can't do it because, and he doesn't want it. I just read two pieces of scripture where he says, but go, but go. We try to come in with these excuses. They're not worthy of it. No, but go. I have already chosen you. When he calls his people, when he anoints his people to go carry something as, as life-changing as the gospel, he has already equipped you, and he already knows what our excuses are going to be, and he's already come back and said, but go make disciples. So I know that every single follower of Jesus has been called to go and make disciples, to share this good news that is life versus death, that is heaven versus hell. He has already called us to go do that. When I say disciples, I mean every single follower of Jesus. Sharing the gospel and sharing this good news with every single person we come in contact with isn't just for full-time pastors. It's not just for full-time missionaries who get on a plane and go overseas. If that is the season of life you're in, then that is great, and the Lord will use you if he has called you there. But it's not just for a time like that. We are called to make disciples with every single person we come in contact with. This part makes me emotional, but I have... Parents that make disciples, parents that make disciples in their workplace. I have siblings that may come on a basketball court, on a football field, on a softball field, on a volleyball court. I have teachers that make them in classrooms. It's not just for full-time pastors, and it's not just for full-time missionaries. We are called to be in full-time ministry wherever you are at. It is time for the church the people within the church to wake up and share the message that is worth sharing. Matthew 5:14 says you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl, but instead they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. We have been called to be a light in whatever area he has placed us in. Wherever you are right now, you are there for a reason, and you are there for a season. And he has placed you there intentionally, knowing the people you're going to come in contact with. And he has already given us everything we need to go and do it.